about that that was official we are official with the video now we're you know it recorded. son all right our faces are on the internet deal with it america all right everybody welcome back to another series we're gonna do i don't know what we are actually gonna call this thing something like how the other folks get paid how your core four makes money how your core four makes money and this is not your four pack of abs this is your realtor <laughs> your contractor your property manager and your financier lender lender uh, <laughs> i'm in rome so uh anyway all right tony well i think we're gonna dive into realtor i heard you know a couple realtors um yeah i know so, a realtor or two or two so um would you just enlighten me my understanding is realtors make money by uh you text them and say hey can i see this house today true or false um that's the beginning sometimes (laughs) so i think almost everybody listening most people out there probably know that realtors get paid commission right so you make a commission based on the sale of the house so you know that john are we are we that far you understand yes i understand when the house sells realtors make money who who pays the buyer or the seller it's listed on the multi-list. Typically, the seller has already negotiated a commission percentage for the sale of the house. So they will have negotiated a percentage usually of the sale price to go to the buying and listing side of the transaction. Typically, that'll range between, say, 4 and and 6%. Normally, 5% total or 6% total will get split evenly between both agents unless one of the agents is uh, a cool dude or lady that wants to make more than the other side. <laughs> but that's mm. how it typically gets mm. gets done up. Um, okay. there, there are some caveats to that. So one thing that as an investor-friendly agent, that shows geared towards investors. So one of the things that you might run into is as a buyer's agent, so somebody who represents the buyer, a lot of times buyers will think just because the buyer's agent is getting paid by the seller that they never have to pay anything at all, which is on a well-priced house, typically the case. I mean, usually if it's like a $300,000, $200,000 house or something, the commission paid by the seller more than fairly compensates the buyer's agent. However, a lot of times with investors, you might be looking at a $40,000 house, a $50,000 house, 10,000, whatever, something really cheap. And 3% of that doesn't really even cover the gas to get there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So a lot of times a buyer's agent in that case will have a minimum commission and the minimum commission is usually set based on just what is like the lowest price house that a buyer's agent will typically deal with. So for me, I look at like, you know, on a, on a regular house might be a hundred thousand dollars or more, but like a hundred thousand dollars is typically like a decent house still that I'll be making fair compensation for. So I set my comp- my minimum commission off of that amount. So whatever the difference between what the seller pays and that $3,000 that I'd be making, which would be 3% of a $100,000 house, the buyer will pay that amount. Typically, the minimum amount that a seller will offer, at least in the Pittsburgh market, is $2,000, $1,500 or $2,000, something like that. So if that was the case, then that would mean that the buyer would come to closing and pay 
$1,500 or $1,000 to make up the difference between their agent's minimum commission and what the seller was already paying the buyer's agent. Makes sense. Does that make sense? So does it make sense why a buyer's agent would do that? Yeah. uh, uh, I mean, so here's my understanding, right? You have work to do. And uh, if uh, I'm buying a house for $20,000, uh, 3% of $20,000 is 600 bucks. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not, uh, 10 times less work for you than if we were to buy a house for it's typically two. 10 times more work. For yeah. Me. Typically more work when it's such <laughs> a dump, but yeah, exactly. So you're saying, Hey, look, I'm, I'm happy to work with you, but if we're going to do a transaction, uh, you know, I, I need some kind of level of understanding from you that I'm going to make a minimum amount if we're going to do this together. That's a big part of it. So the other part of it too, is that for me, on, in a similar vein to what you said, as, as a realtor, a lot of times people think that you are compensated or like you're incentivized to sell them a more expensive house as a buyer's agent. Well, by having a minimum commission, I kind of take that backwards incentive out of it, even if, even if hmm. I was that kind of guy, which I'm not. I mean, I'm just going to get a buyer into whatever house makes the most sense for them. I'm not really focused on like, let's talk you into spending way more money than you wanted to spend. But for me, because I already set an amount of money that is like a minimum fair amount for me that I feel, I don't really care if you're buying a $10,000 house. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't even work with people. If you came to me and said, I want to look in a $10,000 to $40,000 price range, I would just say, yeah, it's not worth my time. I mean, I have a good bit of experience, so I'm not going to waste my time for like less money per hour than I would make working at McDonald's. That's not really the goal <laughs> here. Um, and part of the reason why it's less money is a lot of times people look at like, oh, you made, you know, you made $4,000 on this house. Well, as an agent, it doesn't really work as clear cut as that because you're required to be under a real estate broker. So mm-hmm. brokerages offer all kinds of different splits. However, they'll typically range somewhere between 50 50. So you might split that commission half and half with a broker, or it could go up to hundred percent brokerages. However, agents that work for brokerages that give the agent hundred percent of the commission, most of those brokerages are just going to charge a lot of fees elsewhere. So they'll charge fees for like desk fees. They'll charge fees for printing fees. They'll charge sign fees. They'll charge MLS fees. They'll charge a bunch of other fees. So the point here is that the total amount of money that a real estate agent is getting paid is typically much less than um, the total commission. And the other thing that goes into that is that as an agent, you're really operating as kind of your own business. So every expense that you have you're either paying for through a higher split with your brokerage or you're paying for out of pocket. So as an agent, for instance, I pay $900 a year for my CRM. I pay a few hundred dollars a month to host my um, 3D tours for listings. There are sign fees, there are MLS fees, there are uh, taxes. You pay self-employment tax, which is a lot more tax than a typical W-2 employee would pay because that's an extra 14% tax to you just yeah. because you're self-employed and the luxury of being self-employed, I guess every, every piece of equipment that I buy is a business expense. Like, 
you know, nobody's paying for my paper, nobody's paying for my ink, nobody's paying for my printer. I have to buy it all myself, my computer, everything. So there's all kinds of expenses that just go into running a business. So that's more that comes out of that commission. So really the amount of money that you're making is usually, you know, if you're operating at around a, a, a 50% total, like, profit on your commission that's a pretty good target for what for what you're looking for so oh, that's helpful i was gonna start yeah. picking up my violin for you a second ago but uh <laughs> so so my understanding is i am selling a house let's say we're doing six percent on a hundred thousand you're gonna get half of that and then you're probably gonna get something like half of that with your brokerage mm -hmm. right so you're down to Correct. one and a half percent and then you're telling me you know you're driving around you're buying donuts you're doing all kinds of stuff <laughs> So another half percent is going away. So you're really walking down as an agent. You're pretty happy if you're doing 0.75% uh, profit. Yeah, somewhere between uh, your your percentage. If you look at the commission as a percentage of the sale, you're probably making somewhere between one and a half and 2% of the sale price as far as what you... Your actual take down. You'll pay taxes on. Yeah, yeah, that's what you pay taxes on. And then from that, you take out Uncle Sam's share and it's even a little bit less. Yeah. So your agent's not really getting rich on your uh, on the commissions. I mean, it can be a lucrative job, but you figure, you know. Well, what are you getting rich on? Got to get rich on something. How are you making <laughs> money otherwise? Well, you're making money. I mean, it is, a, it is a lucrative, like it can be a lucrative job. However, to make it into a lucrative job there are a lot of expenses so yeah. that's yeah. that's a big part of it but um so that's essentially how your agent is being paid is through that commission sometimes some if you uh if for instance if i talk to somebody who doesn't seem very serious at first sometimes that like, you'll ask for like an upfront retainer almost i i have very rarely done that but i know other agents that have or if somebody comes to you and they don't seem very serious or they're not something like that, or maybe some agents just operate this way in general, you can say, give me, you know, $2,000 for my services up front. That'll be a credit on the commission when you close. So like if the commission would have been $4,000, uh, you'll basically see that $2,000 kind of refunded to you when they close. Um, that's, that's another model that some people have done. You have agents that do... Hmm. like fixed cost type business, uh, mostly on the listing side. Like some agents will agree to do a listing for like a lower amount. They might say a thousand dollars just to put it on the multi-list and I'm just a, a low service agent, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. That can work for some people. However, most of the time you want somebody actively marketing the property for you, actively negotiating on your behalf and all those kinds of things. Um, but that's kind of, how the meat is made a little bit of an overview as far as how agents are going to get paid. And then any, if you're ever concerned about how much the realtor is making, you should always just ask them for a fee sheet because there are usually, there's usually at least one other fee that shows up at least in Western Pennsylvania. And that's called the broker admin commission. And it's charged by the brokers it's kind of bogus. If you actually want me to defend it, I won't because I don't like it, but I also don't have control over it. Every brokerage is, you, every brokerage usually charges somewhere between like 350 and 500 or 600 dollars due at closing. 
that just goes right to the brokerage. They call it kind of like a document management fee because they're required to keep your documents for three years or however they sell it. I don't, I don't know. Like I said, I, uh, I don't, I don't love it. I just know it exists, but those are the things that usually you're, you're paying as a buyer. A lot of times your sales will be, the commission will be paid in full by, uh, by the seller at closing. I mean, that's just kind of how it gets cut up. Like you're paying for it in price. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know, no matter how you look at it, it's just accounting, but, um, but it's coming from the seller's funds from your, your bank. If you're financing basically is kind of paying for that. Um, unless you're buying a cheap enough house that a minimum commission comes into play. So that's how commission works on a on market property. Should we talk about uh, off market properties? Yeah, I think we should talk off market and then we should transition into, you know, so I think the motivation here to understanding realtors and how they get paid is how can I successfully work with these realtors, right? So, yep. you know, if I'm a buyer or a seller, uh, what are some thoughtful ways that I can behave or incentivize? You know, obviously I can give people money, right? That That tends <laughs> to work. It's not bulletproof though. Uh, so how can I... How can I uh, be a good client? How can I be the favorite client? So when a deal pops up, I get it or that my realtor actually wants to actively market my property and is more responsive. How can I, how can I get to the top of the list? Right. That's a good, we'll get into that after the, the compensation. All right. This. All right. Wait, so um, off market. So off market, if you recall the minimum commission that I mentioned, Typically on your buyer's agency agreement, because if we're talking off market, we're not talking about working with a listing agent, like the listing agent commission, if you're selling a house works pretty much the same, whether they put it on the multi-list or sell it as like a pocket listing or off market or whatever. But as a buyer's agent, you are going to pay that agent's commission at closing. So on your buyer's agency form, there's usually a line that says, this is the minimum commission for a property purchased on the multi-list, publicly listed. And that's what we were talking about earlier, where you make up the difference. But then on an off-market property, there's usually a second line that says on a sale, not represent where the seller is not represented by a listing agent or a, a listing broker, your commission will be this much. And personally, I typically make that a little bit more than if it's listed by a listing broker. Because what ends up happening as a buyer's agent on an off-market property is that you end up doing both agents' jobs because mm. the seller typically has no clue what they're doing. So I'm usually on an on-market property. I'm normally going to say the minimum commission is $3,000 or 2.5%, whichever is higher. On an off-market property, my contracts will usually say $4,000 or 3%. So it's a little bit more just for the little bit of extra work. And typically on an off-market property, I'm the one bringing that deal to someone. Like, right. You know, That's what I was so, going to say. And, and I don't personally, I don't charge, like I don't double dip. So I don't try to do dual agency. Like I don't try to make 6%. What's so I'm agency? not going to. Uh, dual agency is whenever the realtor represents both buyer and seller. So, um, I usually pick a side, like I'm going to have one person that I have an agency relationship with. I don't want to be just the kind of hypothetically represents both of them. 
even when I sell a property off market and I represent the, the seller, I'm normally only going to charge them the commission that I would make on one side of the sale. I'm not going to hit them up for 6% or 5%. I'm, I'm going to say, you know, I'm just going to make the 3% that I'd make on a normal thing, which is part of their incentive to sell off market sometimes because they're saving a buyer's agent commission. Yeah, 3%, yeah. But for me, I just don't, I don't want to get into the, the back and forth. If I ever do get into a situation where somebody, um, you know, if I have it publicly listed and there's a buyer's agent commission already offered, I'll usually have, and I'm the listing agent, I'll usually have the buyer work with one of my team members so that they can still have private conversations with their agent without the person representing the seller involved. That way they're being properly represented versus me doing both sides. I, I understand why agents do dual agency, but I don't think that either the buyer or the seller really benefit from that other than potentially a situation where they can communicate directly with each other. Sometimes that's beneficial, but very rarely in an emotionally charged situation, is it useful for the buyer and seller to be directly communicating? It's not Hmm. usually the best. I get paid to tone the emotions down as much as possible. So that's one of my, one of my duties. Um, that'd be another show. We can also do what should you expect from your core four? We can do that series uh, later, yeah. I guess. But well, not today. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then another, the only last point in compensation is uh, we're not going to do a dedicated episode to it, but I think that it would be useful to tell people how wholesalers get paid, generally speaking. Yeah, I was going to ask how that works with you with off-market deals, right? Yeah. So with a realtor, they get paid a commission. Um, it's agreed up front. In Pennsylvania, there's a thing that's illegal to do as a realtor called a net price listing. So a net price listing is where I tell a seller, we're going to list your house for, or we're going to agree that your house is worth $220,000. Any amount of money over $220,000 that I get you I make as a commission. So if I sell your house for $240,000, $250,000, I make that spread. So I'll make $20,000, $30,000. The reason why it's illegal for a realtor to do that is because they presume that the public at large doesn't have the information to understand what their house is truly worth. So that you can kind of rip people off a little bit more easily. It's just a consumer protection type type thing. At least that's how I understand it. I've never had anybody explain to me why is this illegal, but that that's pretty obvious reason why. So basically what wholesalers do is just that. So they go to a, um, a seller and they say, Hey, I'll give you $50,000. They sign in a, they typically, if they're doing it correctly, will sign what they call an assignable contract with a seller. An assignable contract basically has a clause in it that says that the person who's agreed to, to buy your house can sell that contract. They can assign it to another buyer. And then the other buyer can actually be the one to take, you know, close on your house and buy your house. So they're, what they're basically do is they agree to sell you, buy your house for 30, 40, 50. They're usually cheaper houses, thousand dollars. And then they're going to sell that contract to purchase your house for $50,000 to someone else for say $50,000 more dollars. So a total sale price of $100,000. 
if they're an ethical wholesaler, all of this stuff is very, you know, openly discussed with the seller. The seller knows what's going on. The seller is okay with it and everything. But if they're not a very, if they're an unethical wholesaler, they don't say anything because obviously somebody could be pretty upset if they're getting $50,000 on a $100,000 house sale because... I mean, right. obviously, no need to explain. People, yeah, people pretty like straightforward. Money. Yeah. So um, that's really the the sticky part of wholesaling. If you want to get into it, that's why people say it's kind of iffy for it to be legal because if you're doing it in such a way that it's trying to like publicly list the property and everything like that, you're essentially brokering real estate without a license. Right. Um, there is a proper way to do it where it's just selling contracts. That's totally legal. But if you're doing the activities that a realtor would do or that a real estate agent would do, that's where it drifts into being brokering without a license. And it gets even worse because doing a net price listing, at least in Pennsylvania, is illegal. It's illegal in many states. So um, there's the rub there. Uh, not to go. I don't I don't have anything against wholesalers, whatever. But that's how that's how they get paid. And, you know, such is life. So that's that. Uh, All right. I guess as far as working with an agent, do you have any, any starter material here, John? I would say let's just do a quick rundown. So in general, your agent is going to get paid a commission by the seller, right? The seller, it sounds like 3% for, you know, the commission is going to get split across the buyer, buyer's representative as well as the seller's representative typically 3% each on each side. And then I think you mentioned an important caveat of, hey, if we're buying $10,000 houses, uh, your agent's probably going to have some rock bottom minimum that you're going to have to bring cash to closing and you're going to have to give money to your realtor uh, when you buy that house. Uh, That's all for MLS. Uh, For off-market, as a buyer, you might have uh, a different pricing structure, uh, like a, a higher minimum, essentially. Um, and then there's wholesalers. These wholesalers go out, they basically buy purchase rights to a house for lack of a better term. And then they will try and reassign that contract for some markup. And maybe they work with a realtor to do that, to stay legal or not. So that, that's my high level takeaway of everything. What did I miss? Yeah, that's more or less uh, what you're looking at. Usually if a wholesaler tries to legitimize their business, they'll get their license and then they'll They'll be yeah. a, you know, they'll be a licensed individual um, rather than working directly with a realtor because offering referral fees as an unlicensed person or collecting referral fees, that's not allowed either. You're, you're not allowed to pay a referral fee to an unlicensed person for Definitely. And, and that would never happen. No one would ever do <laughs> that. Uh, okay. So then right. that kind of transitions like, okay, so that's money. That's how people make money. That's where their incentives are. But then there's obviously like all the non-economic aspects mm-hmm. of this, right? Which is, of course. you're you're an agent. I don't know how many clients do you actually have at any given time in um, in market, I should say. Varies during a time of year. So I have a team, so it's a little bit different. Um, is it five, fifty, a hundred? Fifty to a hundred, probably at any given time. Well, that's a lot. Um, so it's so a that's a lot, right? How do I? <laughs> But how, how do, do I get to the out? top? Yeah. How, how do I, right? I, I mean, obviously there's people you like, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, to get kind of the obvious out of the way, the guy who texts you and is like, hey, what do you think about this house? 
Uh, so, so that's the bottom of the list, right? <laughs> right. So I have like a way of thinking about this, and it's really number one: you just have to be respectful of the person and their time. So really building a relationship just where the other person knows that you respect, you respect what they're doing. You understand that the, at least for me, I feel like the only resource in life, the most important resource is time. It's the only one that's fixed. You don't get it back. Right. So um, like just having respect for that's useful as a customer. And that means like expecting a reasonable turnaround time on answers. If you ask stuff, expecting, like if you really want somebody that responds right away, that's great. You need to find that person that's okay doing that upfront. But for me, for instance, being a little bit more experienced, having a niche where I also invest, I'm not usually able to answer people like real fast. I, I answer them within 24 hours, which I feel is reasonable. But I'm not your guy who, if you're just asking a random question, I'm going to be able to get back to you in 10 minutes. That's typically sometimes, but not usually. And if you're not okay with that and you get mad or upset or freak out or whatever, then just not a good fit. You're not going to be at the top of my list. I probably shouldn't be at the top of yours either. Um, (laughs) Just being honest. Yeah, I mean, I would caveat this, right? So there's there's different phases of urgency in in the whole right. process. Right. I was right? gonna go into that too. So, yeah. but like, if you're, you know, if you just saw a house, right, right, and the deadline is two hours from the time you saw it, of course you should expect me to get right on it and do it. And that's part of the job. That's that's it. And you should expect that urgency. That's totally fair. Totally respectful of my time. Things that are urgent, things that need to be taken care of, they should be taken care of promptly, promptly, or I'm not doing my job. You know, that's Mm -hmm. that's part of it. But if it's a question that's like, hey, what do you think of this house? And I don't you know, you ask me it at 9 p.m. at night. night. Yeah. Like, don't expect an answer until the morning. And if you're hitting me up and blasting me and calling me and texting me and everything at 9 p.m., just for thoughts on a house, I might just fire you as a customer if I don't just slow play it. You know, I mean, because that's not worth, I don't, that's not where I am in my career. Like if you want somebody who's a little bit like more experienced, knows what they're talking about and that sort of thing, you also have to understand that they're busy. They have other customers and everything like that. If you want somebody who's just going to be real quick where you're literally their only priority while you're sacrificing the experience and everything. So if you're looking at a good agent, what's going to move you to the top of the list? Just being respectful of time and that sort of thing. But then in return, you should also have respect of your time. Like if, you know, if, like I said, if you went and saw a house and there's an offer deadline two hours from when you saw it, or if it's a competitive market and you want to offer now so that you can get the house, you should be able to get your agent's attention to be able to put that together as soon as they can. And any good agent will, because obviously, how do you get paid, right? You don't get paid just looking at houses. You get paid closing deals. So it's like number one priority is take care of what makes you money. That's Making customer money. service. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 customer service, and that's also um, and that's also like actually getting your stuff done. Like you gotta gotta get it together. Gotta respond. Gotta move things along. Everything like that. Yeah. So that's number one. Number two, 
it's just somebody that actually respects your opinion. Um, hmm. I mean, at this point in my career, I don't run it. I don't run into it too often where people, um, you know, don't, don't listen to you. But if your realtor is suggesting things that you do and you never listen to them and you never take their opinion and you still just want to do whatever it is you want to do anyway, like unless you're otherwise really easy to deal with, that's, that's going to get you shut down too. Like we dealt with somebody in the past who uh, would write up what they wanted us to say to another agent and like copy and paste it. And it's like, I'm thinking, dude, this is like the first house you bought. I've sold over 200 of these. Like which one of us do you think knows how to phrase that? Like, I mean, <laughs> this is stupid. And then, but yeah, but they were really on like, you got to copy and paste what I say. That's what I want it's like in the middle of the transaction of course i did it that's what they wanted but as soon as that transaction was over like i'm not i'm not doing that again no thank you yeah um same thing managing i would say is the uh, the technical term for what that is yeah right and then the other the other part of that too is like um understanding there's a weird understanding, right? That I don't think this is actually something that a lot of people don't get. Oh, but here the, we go. But the way that you get deals done, the way that you're able to be successful as an agent, one of the big things with that is your reputation in the community. Like if I frequently work with investors who they might offer low, but they always close the deal. They don't terminate. They don't do anything like that. Mm. Then if I offer low with other agents, they still take my offer seriously because they know that my, what my people do. And there's the 80, 20 rule in real estate. It's probably more like 90, 10 where like 10% of the agents do all the deals. So you run into these people again, like, you know, I'm, yeah. there's multiple agents where I've done multiple deals with. So the ones where they're successful and everything goes smoothly, they know that your, your offer is, stronger than somebody else's so as a customer if you're consistently throwing out stupid offers that don't make any sense for no reason just to see what sticks like they say that on every real estate investing blog like just offer whatever makes sense and it's like well sit like if the house was listed two days ago it's $150,000 and you want to offer $40,000 and I have no justification for that. Then it's like, why are we wasting our time? Why are you hurting my reputation putting in these stupid offers? Like you're not respecting that part of it. And if we're hurting my reputation doing stuff like that, then I'm not useful to you because my reputation is a big part of me helping get things done for you. And if you're offering like just some dumb price just to see if it sticks I don't really want, I didn't, I'm not doing that. So you might have to find somebody else. Now, if there's a low price that you're offering and there's a reason and a justification and we can legitimately package that. So it makes sense. Even if that, even if that justification is just, you know, we ran the numbers, this is my customer's target. If you don't like it, 
that's fine. But here's the justification for why we're offering what we're offering. That's totally cool. As long as you tell me that so I can properly communicate it, it's fine. But if you come to me as an agent and say, this house would work at 80, but I want to offer 20 just because maybe they'll take it. Then I'm like, we'll justify 20. I mean, you're just killing it from the beginning. Number one, you're probably not going to get it because that's laughable and they're just not going to take you seriously. And number two, on a personal level, you're kind of hurting my reputation because I'm throwing stupid things out there. And then this agent's not going to take me seriously in the future. That also goes towards like terminating deals. If really big stuff shows up and you can't negotiate it away, then by all means terminate the deal. But if you're on some real cheap property and there's a few inspection related items and you terminate just because it's not a perfect house, like what did you expect for $50,000 or something like that. Like, what did you expect yeah. from a cheap house? If I'm going under contract and negotiating a low price for you, and then you want to hammer sellers all the time for more money on your already reduced price, cheap house, like that's killing me because then every time I go to offer with that agent again, they're not going to want to take my person's offer. So not, in on an individual deal, you might win. And if you're just burning agents and you're going through like whoever's going to deal with you, then maybe it works for you. I don't know. But eventually, like that catches up to you. Even yeah, as we're a buyer. only asking for the agent's perspective. You don't have to uh, think of the Machiavellian uh, game theory here. But yeah, but it's I've, heard that, so that's... I've heard that described as negotiating versus grinding, right? There's negotiating and then there's like grinding the other side down. Yeah. And, you, know, and... you know what side of that coin you're on. And I mean, you want to negotiate reasonably and fairly. You can't just like make stuff up in your head. You have to still be able to justify it to the other side. And like I said, if you're consistently terminating on things just because it comes down to expectations. Like if you, like I said, if you're offering on a really cheap house and you knew it was going to be kind of busted but you just offered hot, you just won a bidding war just because you were hoping you could knock them down $30,000 in inspections. Like maybe that works for you, but unless I'm, I know that as an agent going into it and I'm okay with that, then that's really going to hurt your relationship with me too, because I don't want to do that all the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, you know, for the listener, the takeaway here is like, you just need to know when you're spending your agents kind of a relationship capital here. Right. I yep. mean, you, uh, you know, and if you're trying to do that, you know, that's, that's one thing, but you need to understand that that is what you're doing, you know, and yeah. at a certain point, your agent's going to say the more that the more that you tell me upfront what the plan is so that I can properly communicate it to the seller. And then as long as we stick to what we communicated them to, and there was no lying, there was no deceit, it was all straightforward. Everything was exactly happened exactly the way we told them it would happen. If we do business that way, then it's great. You're going to be at the top of my, my list as an agent. We're going to have a great working relationship. Things are going to go fine. But if you're the kind of person that's going to get into things with bad expectations or the kind of person that, you know, is just going to like say one thing, but then really do another thing, <laughs> your, your unethical behavior is unfortunately going to reflect on me. 
And as a realtor, I'm not going to continue to work with you or keep you at the top of my list if that's what we're always doing. So that's, that's another thing. And then generally just being serious, like, like I said earlier, not wasting time. Like if we've seen 80 properties and you haven't so much as offered on one, well, Ooh. yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, at least, you at least, you at least got to throw an offer out there. Like, yeah. I mean, even if it's not a price you want, like, let's at least get something in, try to justify it, try to, or at least be revisiting the criteria. Like, let's use it as a feedback loop then. Like, maybe you're looking at the wrong thing. Right. And we just need to refocus our efforts. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, my, my takeaway is like, look, the realtors are human too, right? Like, you know, uh, there's this thing with drug sniffing dogs, right? There's very rarely actually drugs in the airport. So every once in a while, they take a suitcase, they fill it with drugs, and they let the dog find one. <laughs> you kind of have to do that with your agent, right? If he never finds you know, the deal for you, eventually he's going to just like sit down and be like, my life is pointless. Why do, why do I exist, right? He's gonna I'll find somebody else. <laughs> yeah, he's going to go home. He's going to watch Garden State or some kind of uh, Zach Braff Garden movie. State. Fall into existential dread. It's an old reference. Elizabethtown. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and that that's also kind of what it comes down to is like, Ultimately, most people, they want an experienced agent that knows what they're doing, that's going to pay attention to them and all those different things. That's ideally the agent that you want. And that agent, though, has enough business that they can be selective with who they work with. So if you become like just a total pain, then that person is not going to work with you because they don't need the money that bad. Like, you know. I well, make also, enough I mean, money to support me, myself. I don't need everyone out there's business. I, I need the customers that are that I like to work with. I need their business and I need to treat them well. But if you're not going to treat me well and you're not going to be easy to work with, then I'm just going to suggest that you find somebody else. Yeah. I mean, and look, for the sake of our listeners, let's assume you're a successful and good agent, right? And uh, you're, you're saying you have 50 clients, Let's say they're in the market for like 100 days, 200 days each, right? Mm -hmm. That means like once every two days or every four days, somebody should be closing. And they yeah. are that urgent 911, I have stuff going on and I'm negotiating, right? So, you, you know, you just need to think I'm, I'm one of many for this person, you know, not, not in this like jaded way about it, but, you know, you know, right. Somebody has a building on fire somewhere and you Tony's can't have to, a business on one customer. <laughs> right. He's trying to write a contract for that person. And, yeah. and if it's your turn and it's real, right, then it's real. But yeah. if you're like, Hey, I saw this house pop up in this neighborhood that I really like, but I haven't even gone and like driven by it yet. Or, you know, assuming you're in market, right. Or whatever, yeah. you know, you have to do your own homework, check it out on Google maps, do, do yeah, the do stuff you got to do. Do a little bit of background. And that comes yeah. down to what I always say is like every customer does it. So if you are a customer and you said it, don't feel bad because I get it all the time. <laughs> yeah. But my least favorite question I get from people is here's an address. What do you think? And it's like, I could say a million things. I could think a million things. Like I can look at a property and there's a million things that I could think. So even if you're going to say something very generic just to get my whatever I say, because sometimes that's useful. Like as a person, if you just ask someone a very general question, they'll tell you, could tell you a lot of things. It's just a questioning technique. But as your agent, I would prefer that you have some specific questions about the property. Like, hey, Tony, 
I saw 123 Main Street. I did the Google Street View. It looks like an okay neighborhood. Um, you know, I, I looked up the rents. The rents look good. I did some preliminary numbers on the property. Here's my numbers. They're attached. Can you tell me what you think about my numbers that are attached? Are they accurate? And is the neighborhood a decent neighborhood like I think it is? Like that's pretty much giving you the answer to what do you think? And that's what I assume most people want. So I usually can still kind of answer their what do you think question the right way. But it just lets me know that you're actually putting thought into what you're sending me and you're not just finding some random deal on Zillow and sending it to me just because you like the color. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's, again, it goes down to like respecting my time. Like you're only sending me stuff that, that I should actually be giving you feedback on. Um, and that's, that's an important thing, an important thing too. And then it comes down to also like, for instance, I have a team. So um, sometimes people want to work like just totally direct. And if people want to do that, that's fine. I tell them that's okay. Totally However, direct meaning they work with you. Yeah. They don't, they you. don't like loop in a team member or anything. And then I tell people though, if I do that, you also have to understand that my schedule a lot of times is full for like five days. So I'm not going to be able to go see a property until it might be under contract. So like if that's the expectation, then that's cool, but you have to be okay with that expectation. If you're not okay with that, then like, let's look at the team model and you might have a team member take you, but I'm still always available to answer your questions and, you know, help you with negotiating, help you interpret your inspection, give you recommendations, do everything that I would always do. The only difference is that, I didn't type the numbers into the, the paperwork and I didn't go unlock the door with my locks box key. So like, you know, there's that part of it too. So kind of setting expectations up front, understanding those expectations as a customer and then being okay with those expectations that you've set the whole way through. That's, that's the ideal customer. All right. Bada bing, bada boom. Bingo, bango. That's, bingo, bango. Uh, if so we that's have how any your realtor further- makes money. Yep, that's how a realtor makes money. That's how a lot of realtors would like to be treated. <laughs> um, obviously, not everyone treats us that way all the you time. You was kind. You was important. Yeah, but I, but I, I mean, I do. I have probably, you know, I have a number of people who I will drop what I'm doing for an answer. And I told my one, my one buddy, he, uh, <laughs> he buys, he buys houses like investment properties, and I was in the middle of checking out at home depot or something and i was real busy and i was tired from i skim coded like this whole apartment i don't know why i was don't ask me why i was doing the work it's a long story but well he calls me and i pick up and i'm like what i'm like i'm in line like what do you want and then and then he's like wow thanks for the customer service <laughs> and i'm like i'm just not in a good mood i'm sorry but like you're always cool like in my head but i'm like but you're always cool to me so i know that if you're calling me it's important so i'm gonna drop what i'm doing and pick up because always like respected my time and whatever but even though i was grouchy about it like that's the kind of person that i'm legitimately going to drop whatever it is i'm doing and respond and help them out even if it's grouchy i apologize in advance 
but he, he uh, was not really sorry though he's not really sorry no no i sorry. <laughs> he was like he was like tony on a scale one to ten your customer service to me is a two and your but 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 your knowledge is a 15 and i was like i'm glad that we know and he's like and that's why i work with that that's why he he's like i'm glad i have the one team member to work with because his customer service is a 10 <laughs> uh typically my customer service is decent i just um, i mean for what it's worth you know this is my experience in almost everything you want people that have partners and recognize their weaknesses and strengths right like the yin and the yang is a real thing dude it goes all the way back to confucius so don't expect somebody to be everything for you that's a recipe for disaster indeed all right well that's that um we talked about a lot so we're not gonna do the what did we learn this week segment All right. I don't, Sounds I, great, man. So where can they find out more about us? Uh, they can call into the show, 412-212-8366. Leave a voicemail. Maybe we'll answer it. We'll probably answer it. We'll definitely uh, answer it because yeah. we need more questions. We're going to fire some things up on the Instagram, at B3RE. And then, Tony, where can they reach you? At 412agent on Instagram, 412agent.com. You can find me on Bigger Pockets under my name. You can find me on Zillow under my name. And then we're going to start putting videos up on YouTube. So we will have a YouTube link shared on Instagram for yeah. you. So yeah, yeah. I had to think about profile. how to get it out to the people because I'm like, you go on our website, but we don't really have a website yet. We'll, well be we getting that have, too. Yeah, we, we got BeFreeRE.com. You can go Dude, there. BeFreeRE.com is developed to the max. Sponsored by Ajax. Yeah. For your cleaning solutions. Yeah. I'm a bartender's friend or whatever it's called, kind of a guy, but everybody yeah, has I'm reading, friends. I'm reading the Iliad and Ajax is a character. And every time I see it, it's like crazy. But that's that. So that's how you find out more about us. We will see you next week on Be Free Ari. Ari, 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 Ari.